the word of God is going to play a definitive role in the life of every disciple. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave, the Salsa King of the East Coast, Van Bickle. How you doing today, Dave? <laughs> by Salsa King, I'm in the dance, not the... Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> you have no idea how spicy my salsa can get. Yeah, always, uh, always the spice of the new evangelization. That's what you are, Larry. I'm good. Happy Easter. Hey, Dave, did you, did you get a chance to listen to the last episode that I recorded? Yeah, I listened, yeah. And you weren't blown away by its amazingness? Oh, yeah. I was, like, you know, slain in the spirit for several hours. So. Oh, that's awesome. I knew it. Yeah, okay. We got a great question this week um, and uh, an important question. I hope that you, I hope everyone already knows from listening to the podcast how important this question is. Uh, this is uh, a woman named Jennifer. She's the director of evangelization for a big church, and um, and she is asking about how to start an intercessory prayer group. She's actually specifically asking for resources on how to start a parish intercessory prayer group. Now, I don't know that there's any resources out there that are specifically to start an intercessory prayer book. I know a prayer group just for a parish. I know um, they exist on my computer and probably exists on Gomer's computer and things like that. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of give you a few steps here um, as to, you know, what you're going to do. And, and, you know, you said uh, in your email that you already have a group that prays for people but you know you want to make sure it's more more directed towards parish evangelization which i think is great so let me just say if you're starting from scratch completely what you're going to want to do is start to find the people who already are uh, praying. Okay. So there's a lot of people at your parish that you, you know, right? They're the, the older ladies praying their rosary in the back of the church. Just getting together with those people to maybe pray for the needs of the parish, pray for your pastor is the first step you're going to take. The next step you're going to take is to start to get a little bit organized. Okay. And you're going to start to recruit people. And how you're going to organize is this you're going to ask yourself, what do I want these intercessors to do? What is the job description of this intercessor? And you're going to come up with a job description. So for instance, you know, what I'd recommend if you're just getting started is to say that, you know, everybody who's a part of this group, whatever you want to call it, is going to pray one memorare a day for conversions at the parish. Or maybe you're going to start out by saying they're going to do one holy hour a month for conversions at the parish, something like that, something very specific that they have to hold on to. And you're going to start recruiting people who can do that. Okay. Now you can work all the way into a super complicated, complex intercessory prayer group, like what I have. Um, and basically that works out that we have several people each day of the month that are fasting and praying for the needs of the parish, uh, for conversions at the parish and for our clergy. And so uh, it's literally on a calendar so that I can look and see, okay, who's fasting and praying today? So that if something comes up at the parish, someone comes in and wants to talk about the Lord, I can literally call those people and ask them to pray for that. And then those people also have daily prayers that they do. So on the day that, that they're assigned to fast and pray, they have a little bit longer prayers, about a half hour worth of devotional prayers for conversions and for the needs of the parish. And then on the other days, you're just at, we just asked them to do uh, three memorandums for the parish. Uh, so it's very, very organized. And then every once, about once a month, we have a, a holy hour together where we pray for the parish. And then about once every three months, we have some kind of talk on intercessory prayer or contemplative prayer or something like that to try and start to booster their prayer life in, in a sense. 
Um, so we're trying to like make these people into professional intercessors. So that's a good thing. One of the books you could turn to is uh, by a living saint, Sister Ann Shields. She has a great book on intercessory prayer. So if you need something to hold on to, like a book that kind of teach you what is intercessory prayer, how to be good at it, how to do that, uh, I think it's just called Intercessory Prayer by Sister Ann Shields. And it's a, or it's called Intercession, A Guide to Effective Prayer by Sister Ann Shields. And that is an excellent book and uh, would be great for your whole team. So I hope that uh, helps and keep those questions coming. Again, we we want to create this community and we're, and we're getting emails just about every day now, guys. So we're really happy about that. But if you have a question about evangelization, about parish life, about anything like that, uh, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. Yeah, that's awesome. And just to kind of tag along with that, my parish, we have like a charismatic prayer group that prays with people three times, four times a month. And they are, and then we have a, a separate group of people who do the, you know, after daily mass, morning prayer, morning rosary group. So we have these two groups. And then we have another group that's a Divine Mercy Chaplet Senecal group, right? And we have that in English and Spanish. So for our intercessory prayer teams, part of the maturation process is bringing all of these separate already existing prayer groups together. Yeah. And another tip that you can do for people who um, might who think of intercessory prayer as maybe like the prayer teams that stand up around you know, the sanctuary and they pray over people, that might be too intimidating. Right. But we also have a prayer blanket ministry where people pray. Um, they have it's this whole thing where they pray um, the rosary and they do intercessory prayer for whoever gets this prayer blanket. And the blankets are reserved for those in hospital situations. Right. Whoa. So um, it's like a little comfortable, warm little blanket. You know, those little things where you make little knots along the edges and super comfortable, super cozy blankets. But they've been prayed over by the people making it and by our clergy. They they bless them and all that stuff. Cool. And we have literally had reports of, of healing so that have come from that. So don't just think of it as, you know, like David has this very well-oiled machine. I have 30 other things that are going right. on that our goal now is to unify them under these, um, you know, daily, weekly, monthly kind of things. And then we're just starting – um, in English, and the hardest part is in Spanish, the conferences, the monthly or every other month, how to pray, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. So there are different roads. You probably already have people praying. Tap into them to direct their prayer. Yeah, and, and just make sure if you work for a parish and this has not been something you've done yet, drop everything and do this first. Yeah. This I promise you this will pay off in the long run more than anything you could have on your schedule today. This is important, right? Nothing... We can't lie to ourselves about the fruit. Remember, don't lie to ourselves about the fruit. We, we talked about soul of the apostle in one of the first episodes. All our fruit in evangelization is going to come from prayer. Every bit of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for today's topic, me and Dave wanted to talk about, you know, we go through the journeying life practice stuff of trying to evangelize those around us, people, strangers, people that we have relationships with. What happens after they've said yes to Jesus? And they want to walk in the way of the Lord Jesus. They are what we would say newly converted. And we want to talk about it from two different perspectives, both the personal, like you're journeying with someone personally, discipling them, and institutional, how a parish brings in neophytes uh, after they've gone through the sacraments. And what do we do after that? Right, Dave? Yeah. So so basically, you know, on personal one-on-one -on -one evangelization, what's the first thing you're going to introduce them to after you've introduced them to Jesus? 
right? What's the very first thing you're going to start to do? Because you have to remember, not only is this a, a, a struggle that we're pulling someone out of the world, but we're also struggling against, you know, the, the powers of darkness. And we want to cement them in these or activities that can organically introduce them more and more to our Lord and to start to help them to build their their spiritual life so that they are cemented as a disciple, right? Because there is certainly that risk of uh, what you might call, you might call it like the retreat high or something like that, right? That somebody gives their life to the Lord and they have these great feelings and it's a great situation. It's a great moment, but it's kind of like the top of the roller coaster and now they're going down and we have to make sure that there's a, a quick maturation in a certain sense of the discipleship, you know, within this person so that they're, they're not in danger of like falling back in their old ways. Yeah, absolutely. And so balancing these things, I think can be, um, totally pivotal into helping a young person, uh, or excuse me, young in Christ person walk strongly in their faith. And what we want to do is kind of give you practical things here. So, um, and at the end with our take fives, they're going to be very specifically practical. Yeah, so, right. Dave, what would you say um, when it comes to uh, forming someone in how they interiorly live their faith? What would what would be the first steps? So certainly, so certainly, right after someone has given their life to the Lord, you want to teach them how to communicate with God. Okay, this is going to be an important thing, and it's going to be a really important question for them, even if they don't realize it yet. They want to know what God has to say, and they want to know how to talk to God. Um, and so you're going to really quickly introduce them to the idea of personal prayer. Uh, this is one of the most important steps you can do, because remember, so much growth in the spiritual life is organic between the person and God. We, we can only involve ourselves so much. And in, in a certain sense, like there's things that we, we will never be able to teach a person, we'll never be able to accomplish in a person. So we have to have them turn to the one who can accomplish all things, which is the Lord, right? So we want to teach them very simply how to pray. And for me, I teach, I would do two methods. I would teach them some devotional prayers, okay, because it's very easy. And I would also teach them how to actually pray, meaning that I would teach them how to practice mental prayer, how to talk to God in a certain way, okay? And I, I usually use two books. If someone's um, you know newly converted, one of the first things they're going to receive from me is either Prayer for Beginners by Peter Kreeft or uh, Time for God by Father Jacques Philippe, one of those two books. And it's usually just whatever I have on hand. You know, Both of them I use interchangeably because it introduces someone to uh, meditative prayer, mental prayer, what it means to just converse freely with God and to allow God to speak to them. Um, and this is where you want to be careful about your language of prayer. Because I know like Gomer and I both went to a, a university where basically like the way people talk about their prayer life, you would think that they were like an Old Testament prophet, right? <laughs> so the way they talk about it is they say, well, God told me yeah. this, God told me that. And that's fine for people to talk that way. But remember, God rarely speaks English, right? I mean, his, his communication is much deeper often than words. Yeah. So we have to really try to ease them into that idea of the prayer life that, look, you might not get specific audible answers, but that's okay because God's still speaking to you and you'll start to recognize his voice in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. And you cannot progress in the Christian life without meditative prayer, right? I think a lot of people focus, when they think about the Christian life, we only focus on morality. And St. Teresa of Avila, who is a doctor of the church and master of the spiritual life, tells us over and over again that the moral formation and, and the deepening of mental prayer cannot be done without the other. And so you're not going to progress 
into from you know like meditative prayer into contemplative prayer if you're still stuck on the same old sins but at the same time freedom from those old sins often comes through a deepening of your prayer not just begging god for your you know god give me the grace to overcome this or that or whatever um but a deepening mental prayer so it has to pass beyond vocal into that kind of wordless wordless prayer because that's you get that goodness in you but it begins changing your thoughts not just expressing your thoughts so right and if if you're evangelizing on a parish level you need to have some kind of mechanism in place your parishioners need to learn how to pray yeah so the way that looks for us at at my parish is once a month i'm literally going to do a prayer for beginners class yes and it's just i'm i'm always going to offer the same class and then a lot of other enrichment as well but you got to teach your people to pray don't you think homer absolutely absolutely most people don't know how to pray and i'll tell you right. i was right. at i said this before i was at a parish doing a parish mission and i always offer things for the staff if they want to take me up on it and i did a morning reflection and the first half was if you don't pray quit church ministry please or if you're not going to be dedicated to prayer from this day forward and a deacon came up and said, I think you need to have a follow-up lecture on how to pray. And so it was 25 minutes of this is the basics of how to pray. And uh, I got more comments and compliments for teaching them how to pray because no one ever did. As Catholics, we were taught how to not how to pray but how to repeat. Right. And once you try to go deeper, you don't know what to do. So the next thing that I think is absolutely crucial is having a strong community. Is having a strong community. Uh, I'm doing Big this thing surprise called there. Yeah, Big right. Surprise there that Comer's bringing up community. <laughs> uh, radical community on AscensionPress.com. Buy my book. Um, but no. I, so I would just had a woman reach out to me from the um, Illinois St. Louis area, and she said uh, she is in a church of of older people, but a lot of young people are coming now for the first time in a long time, and they said they don't know what to do with them, but so many of them they don't know each other. And so she began pushing for this community approach. How do we reach out to people who are in the similar demographic, similar stage of life, and then how do we blend it? The reason being, if you walk alone, you are committing spiritual suicide. Walking alone is the greatest way for the devil to destroy your newfound faith because you don't know these things. So if you are personally discipling someone, you already have community for them but it needs to go beyond you because you can't fulfill every aspect, right? You, we, I, I love this line from a guy named Andy Stanley. He said, God's goal for us is to empty our cup into the other, other people. It's not our job to fill everyone's cup. You know, you're not the savior, right? You and I, we're not the savior. We don't have everything perfect. But the idea is by bringing more people of, who, who are different stages of Christian walk, around a newly converted person, someone new to the faith, you can begin to shape them and mold them in different ways that it's not all up to you. If other people are pouring into our lives, we are all, we are enriched. So um, part of my evangelization strategy when I'm walking with people one-on-one -on -one, or if I'm with a couple is immediately, as soon as possible in the process, if they're saying yes to Jesus, I need them to understand that yes to Jesus is a yes to two other things, to the Christian community and to the poor, right? And so having solidarity with the poor and having community with one another, it is it is not replaceable. And this is one of the things that frustrated me when I first took over the RCIA, is like so much, and when you read the actual documents, which I encourage everyone to actually do, when you get the white book and you go through the rights, so many times they say an experience of the Christian community. And that's the hardest thing to shove in a classroom. 
They can have community with each other, but how are they having community with the wider body of Christ? And that's where it takes strategic investment on your part. If you're a leader in the parish setting, you need to be like, okay, like, so for instance, sponsors. Sponsors can be a wonderful bridge or a terrible experience. So when I form sponsors who, like people are like, I don't know anyone at this church, can you pick a sponsor for me? My goal, and it just happened this Sunday, we just brought in um, a, a husband, wife, and their daughter. I chose a wonderful couple who I knew would invest in these people. And sure enough, once they got paired, they invited them over to their house for dinner, and it's it's off to the races, right? That is an experience of the Christian community that's irreplaceable. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it, Christian community, one of the things that I've always seen that's so important about it is that if someone is truly new to the Christian life, once they've accepted Jesus as their Lord, right, they want to know what does it look like to live as a Christian? What does it mean that, you know, to listen to music as a Christian? What does it mean to work as a Christian? What does it mean to date as a Christian? What does it mean, all these things as a disciple, to do these things in, in the in the context of discipleship? And the only way you're ever going to learn that is in Christian community, yeah. really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do we got next? Yeah. So the next one is... Um, we got to introduce them to reading scripture. Okay. Um, here's why I'm going to give you a few reasons. First of all, here, here's why formation, right? Scripture is primarily how you're going to form a disciple. This is God's word to us, how he wants to form us. And so they need to be introduced to how do I read the Bible? Do I have a Bible? Do all of these things, right? So somewhere along this journey, uh, you're going to ask those questions. Do you have a Bible? Maybe they have one that they, you know, got from a, a grandma or something like that a long time ago, maybe a first communion Bible or something like that. And you're going to start to introduce this idea of how to read the scriptures. And I always am very gentle about it. I always would tell them to just stick to the gospels at first, to just really, really bathe themselves into the gospels and then into the rest of the New Testament. The reason I say that is because when you get into the Old Testament, some of those books are a little bit scary yep. right, for people. And it often, over and over and over again, becomes a stumbling block when people start reading, you know, the stories of, of you know, like the thing like the ban where God is telling them to yeah. kill every man, woman, <laughs> child, you know, and, and livestock, you know, let nothing survive. Uh, people don't understand that. So you have to... You have to really kind of ease them in and introduce them to the different senses of Scripture, right? So that when they yep. do get to those moments of like, well, that's hard for me to understand, uh, that you re that you remind them like, well, wait a minute, we're understanding this in, in two different ways here, right? You're, you're thinking of it almost like Greek mythology. We're understanding this all in, in a spiritual way, right? That when God says those things, it's because he wants us to strip every bit of sin, every bit of evil out of our life. Uh, that that's why he's so incredibly intense about this, uh, because he's a jealous God for our hearts. He's jealous for our hearts. So I would right away, right away, like as soon as you've introduced him to prayer, community, scripture, immediately, just start to get them reading the Bible. Um, one of my, you know, I always talk about these two girls that are like my proudest my proudest disciples here, you know, that I used to work with. And, and it, it started out with reverse mentoring. I used to ask them, you know, for, for songs that I could work out to. And they thought it was so funny that this old guy was asking him about that and eventually started to talk to them about the Lord and they, they were best friends. And, um, and one of them did not have a Bible. And so for her birthday one year, I gave her a Bible, you know, and still to this day, every year on her birthday, she texts me and says, I got out my Bible today and read it. And it, you know, it's a, 
it's a big deal for her, you know, that, that I was able to give this to her because it played a big role in her life after that. And that's what you're going to see is that the word of God is going to play a definitive role in the life of every disciple. So get them started on it early so that they can start to get that formation that comes. The other thing is um, reading scripture, and I, I think Gomer would probably agree with me on this, is that it's the only way I ever was able to recognize God's voice in prayer was by reading scripture and tradition, because those are the definitive ways God speaks, right? Like through, like for instance, like scripture and the catechism. And so finally, when I would start to recognize God's voice in those places, that's when prayer started to really come alive for me because I was able to kind of recognize his voice in prayer in a sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the idea of people saying, you know, God said to me, you know, you brought that up. Um, wonderful. That's great. But we have an infallible, inerrant, and inspired way of tapping into God's voice for us today. Right. You know, there's a great line in scripture that says, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. The idea of training ourselves in scripture is one of the deepest forms of growth that we can have. It's one of the deepest forms of growth. And so um, talking about scripture and tradition, the ways that they relate there's a wonderful book by Mike Aquilina on um, on living living the mysteries. Cool, and it's the idea of like it's a 40 day snippets of the church fathers that enables you to see, especially for Missagosia, right the the stage between their reception of the church at Easter Vigil and Pentecost. This process of reading through the sacraments of the church from the eyes of the church fathers, which are always scriptural eyes. They are always and constantly referencing scripture. Right. So if you're looking for a practical book to help with that, to kind of coincide with your scripture reading um, and dipping into the tradition on top of the catechism, I would recommend that book. So the next one that we have is um, what we would call like your moral and intellectual formation. And this part is very difficult but can potentially have the most growth and the most danger. Uh, so what do right. I mean by that? So the most danger, let me start with that one, is oftentimes I meet Catholics, and I was 100% one of these, who thinks that knowing about my faith is just as good as living right. it. Right. There is a profound spiritual danger there. Now, I thought knowing apologetics and arguing with Protestants was the same thing, about, uh, same thing as evangelization. It is not. It might be a part of it, right? But um, I thought winning arguments was evangelization. So when I talk about your intellectual formation, the danger is spiritual pride, and it creates these massive blinders. So I have met people who go to all the classes we offer, but they don't go to mass. I have parents who drop their kids off for faith formation. In fact, I would say 50% of our parents drop their kids off for faith formation. You know, may maybe that's too big of a number, but and they never go to mass or maybe, you know, twice a year or whatever. Um, and so the kids aren't going to Mass, even though they're going to sack prep, right, to get their first Holy Communion. It's so bizarre. But just knowing about what the church teaches is not ever good enough, but it is good. And that's why, here's the positives, right? You need to understand, and I always map out the basic things. So we already talked about prayer, but understanding who God is and uh, in terms of his divine nature and understanding the Trinity, right? So for a lot of people, that's the same thing, but understanding what we mean by God as a concept, how it relates to and differs from different world religions, um, and understanding specifically the Trinitarian faith of the church. 
that I think is super foundational. The two most important doctrines of the church are the Trinity and the incarnation. If you can understand from a catechetical um, and theological way, what do we mean when we say Trinity and the incarnation of Jesus? I think those are the first two starting places outside of prayer that we need to have a strong grasp in. And that means reading additional literature. The catechism is the go-to place to start, but rarely is it sufficient for truly intellectual formation. It starts, it gives you kind of like the uh, boundaries of the church's thought. But if you want to go deeper, especially on the Trinity, I have always recommended C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity to to be that next step after the catechism on understanding the Trinity and the incarnation. There are other wonderful books um, that you can read, but the other part is your moral development. Like Catholics need to get back into understanding the moral life of the church. And I cannot think of a better book to introduce a lay person to this than Back to Virtue by Dr. Peter Craig. Um, It explains the virtue mindset of a Catholic. It explains the like deep to mystic roots of it without it being cluttered with too much scholastic language it's accessible but also in a way that that really sets hearts on fire and i would say the very next step is called morality the catholic view uh, by father survey pink hairs don't let that name scare you uh, morality the catholic view is the world's ugliest yeah. cover i don't, I don't I know, know what those publishers were thinking it's like autumn leaves on trees and a river and it's so stupid looking but it's such a generic thing, but it is an excellent book. And I would say that's more of an yeah, intermediate, intermediate stage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, the, and the way this looks in a parish is, um, you know, you're going to offer different series that are going to slowly start to introduce people to these concepts and then get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Um, and you know, w- w- the way it works at my parish at least is like we circle concepts constantly and then we just go a little bit closer every time. Yeah. Right. So we get a little bit deeper and we usually, we, you know, not weed out, but like kind of sift through people who are content for the moment to sit at the, you know, kind of the, the outside phases and then the people who are really intense about it and want to get a little bit deeper into this. Um, and so we offer things regularly to be able to meet those specific questions, you know, re- regarding moral and intellectual formation. Um, yeah, and I can't, I can't believe I neglected this. I'm such a fool, Dave. I am such why? a fool. Um, the theology of the body. Let's talk about evangelism. Right. I was gonna say. I was just about to say. Gomer offers. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do. I have a five day uh, gentle immersion into the big concepts of the theology of the body. Now I do it from I take up the methodology of JP2. So even though I'm not going through the actual book, we go through the scriptures that he highlights, and then I introduce the themes that are found in the book, like the law of the gift and original nakedness, original innocence, all that stuff. Um, And we do that so as to give people a grounding in moral, um, moral theology, and especially those areas of moral theology that are hotly contested, i.e. sexual matters. So um, a wonderful book, the most standard book for beginners is Theology of the Body for Beginners by Christopher West. I know some people are like, wow, oh, Christopher West, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, there is not a better book for the introduction to the Theology of the Body. Uh, for more intermediate, so let's say if you're a discipling someone, um, there is a wonderful book. I, uh, oh, man, I forgot the title. I think it's called The Love by... Carl Anderson, who's the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, he wrote a wonderful book on the theology of the body. Um, 
and just like what that means for us as a church and as individuals. So if you're leading someone, maybe you need to go through the original book and then take the next step and then help walk someone through that. Or in a parish setting, you could do what I do, which is um, five days in a row, the theology of the body week. And what we do is one day is the prehistorical man right before the fall. The other one is the fall and its consequences. And then we do virtue. And then we do the, the relationship between marriage and virginity for the sake of the kingdom. And then we spend the last day typically on contraception, but on all life issues that are tied to human sexuality. Yeah. And I think like when, when this is taking the form of personal evangelization, it usually means that you're recommending a resource and allowing them to discover on their own. But I would caution against recommending a resource that you're not skilled in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because they, they're going to come back with questions and you, you kind of need to be ready at that point. Yeah. You know, and you especially don't want to be in the position where you say, oh, I don't know because I never read it. You know, <laughs> that, that that's going to kind of hurt the credibility there. But so these four things, just to recap, prayer, uh, daily scripture reading, community and, and intellectual and moral formation. These are things you're going to want to almost immediately introduce to this person, not not in a systematic way, really, because that might be overwhelming. But you're going to want to make sure that if you're working for a parish, you have all these things continually uh, working together. And if you're doing just personal evangelization, you want to have some kind of transition into this, right, to start to slowly bring about these things so that they're receiving the formation from God and you're kind of stepping out of the situation a little bit, just being there ready to kind of, you know, call them on and to, you know, you know, guide them a little bit when they have questions. Uh, but when they have that relationship with God, you know, it's kind of like this, this little baby, you want them just to grow, 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 grow. And we have to give them the milk, you know? So this is, this is what we're trying to do today. Um, yeah, I think we're going to take a break there. And when we come back, we're going to have five practical takeaways. And you can bet they're going to be about uh, what to the disciplines to give a newly converted person. So uh, we'll be back. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back. Every knee shall bow. We are kicking. This is everyone's favorite and least favorite part of the show where we make it utterly practical. And before we do, I just wanted to introduce this part by saying um, part of practical Christian teaching, it's like paint, right? Paint is of no use in the can 
just like these teachings are no use in your head, it only is useful when it's applied. And that right. quote comes from a man, a Protestant pastor named Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church, who is known for utterly practical teaching. So I help people, um, I tell them to go to his um, book called How to uh, Teaching for a Change. And the whole communicating idea. Communicating for change. Yeah, communicating for a change. Thank you. Um, the whole idea is how to make messages practical so that they are life-changing. And obviously, the theory and things like that that we need to learn are all part of practical knowledge. But we need to put our faith in motion. So he has this thing at his church called the five things God uses to grow your faith. And so it's like once you've come to faith, how do you grow it? And right. his five Ps. This is totally unrelated. Dave Van Vickle didn't know any of this stuff. Uh, but it's practical teaching, private devotions and disciplines providential relationship so god putting you in place to cool. do this personal ministry and that's one of the things that we right. didn't really talk about except kind of highlighting our solidarity with the poor um but doing ministry is another way that god grows your faith and then pivotal circumstances what things going on in your life is god using to help you trust him more and i just thought that was interesting in terms of these five points and how there is so much overlap um, in those who are reading scripture and standing in the tradition of the church that we can actually find to grow our faith. This, is, this isn't this is new, and it's not rocket science. It's awesome. just applying these and walking with the Lord daily. So with that said, yeah, with that said, we're going to plow into our practical five takeaways. So number one, I'm going to encourage you. So when I talk about uh, growing new converts, this is kind of from a theological and RCIA-based level. My mystagogia is devoted to living the sacramental life. So one of the things that we do is I have them prepare for devotional and frequent confession. And I use Father Mike Schmitz's Ascension Press videos, uh, Ascension Presents videos on confession. He has like four or five, talks about the difference between mortal and venial sin, how to make a great confession and other things like that. I use them all the time and I use them in an email so that people can constantly refer back to them. So they'll pull it up, and the, within that email, I'll have two different examinations of conscience, the walkthrough on how to go to confession, um, how to make a good confession, some stuff that I've given over the years. But then I have these videos attached. Father Mike Schmitz, Ascension Presents, How to Go to Confession. You just type in confession, Father Mike Schmitz, and you watch those videos. They are worth their yeah, weight in gold. They're good. Number two, all right, uh, we always do something with intercessory prayer. And we just had a lot of Catholics come into the church at Easter. What I want you to do is pray for those Catholics, those new Catholics. This is awesome, guys. Something we should be celebrating. I want you to pray for those new Catholics, particularly the ones who have come in uh, with your parish. I want you to specifically do some kind of prayer for them this week, uh, praying for them that God would just cement them in the Catholic faith, thanking God for their gift to the church, you know, that they've become to the to the fullness of truth, and and then uh, praying that they would be able to be a light on the hill as well to bring others to the, the faith. Yeah. And then for community, I want you to actually sit down with the catechism, with someone, and read and discuss. Any part of the fourth part of the catechism is worth having this, this conversation on prayer. But honestly, the battle of prayer. I find most new Catholics struggle mightily with those things and themes contained within the, the section called the battle of prayer. So if you were to read through them, just read through it together out loud, one person read, take turns, it doesn't matter, and then discuss how that relates to you personally. You know, How do you fight distractions in prayer? How do you fight whether or not God is listening to you in prayer? Very, very powerful stuff. So read and discuss together 
the battle of prayer in the catechism. Awesome. All right. Number four, uh, you know, we talked about how scripture is kind of like a, a great way to form ourselves right in, in Christian discipleship. Right. And it's very organic. Like we don't, we don't, I don't have to have a class. You can just read scripture and, and formation kind of happens. What I want you to do is take a look, you know, in your daily scripture reading this week. And I want you to find something in the gospels, like one of, maybe one of Jesus's hard sayings, that was, was a changing point in your life, something that you changed because of what you read in scripture. And I want you to kind of formulate your testimony to that, right? So, you know, if, if, uh, if you're reading the first, the, the, um, the rich young man, then, and you're, and you're, you know, you read it and it affected your life and you felt like, you know, you need to make sure you weren't so attached to your, to your finances, to your wealth, uh, think about that, right? Think about that and formulate kind of a testimony to something that you changed as a result of reading the scriptures. Oh, that is so great. I love that. I love that. Plot twist. I thought you were just going to tell us to read the Bible more. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. All I right. zig when you think I'm going to zag. <laughs> that is exactly what I think of when I think of you. Um, lastly, lastly, I'm sending you back to YouTube. This is a little bit weird, but one of the things that I found about Catholics who struggle with confession even after years, is this notion of what do we bring as penitents to the confessional? Father Mike Schmitz gives you a great, like, big-picture view, but I want to focus on the three S's of a penitent coming to confession, which is I show up with my sorrow, right, meaning I've repented beforehand, and I go through all this. My sorrow, I diligently confess my sins, and then I fervently make satisfaction. And I explain those three parts in like five to 10 ish minutes. It's just my big old head talking to you uh, directly into the camera. Um, and so I have the show notes. We will include the links to these videos. You can uh, search, you know, Mike Gormley, not Mark Gormley. That's a weird karaoke guy that you will enjoy. Uh, Mike Gormley, Sin, Sorrow, Satisfaction, or something like that. Um, you can search that on YouTube. Show notes will have the links. Um, but just watch those and learn how you can apply that immediately to your next confession. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, you don't just have to listen to us on the uh, this podcast, although we love it that you're listening. We can actually come to your church and do some kind of training. Gomer and I would love to come out. If you'd like to have us out to your parish to do an evangelization training, a mission, a, a retreat, or maybe just a day-long uh, introduction to the new evangelization, we would love to come out and cooperate with what you're doing out there. Uh, you just email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. That's eksb at ascensionpress.com. As always, if you have been blessed by this show, please consider blessing us by giving us a rating in the iTunes store uh, on, the, on the podcast app. We love hearing back from you guys, and it's been so great to reach out to a bunch of you and to talk with you. So keep them coming. Oh, that's absolutely true. So thank you all for listening yet again to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast and evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined by Dave, the Salsa King of the East Coast Van Pickles. Oh, <laughs> God bless Bye, you. Bye, everybody. God bless you.